Hey, what's going on, guys? Join us here as we continue our study into the fiery furnace of Daniel chapter three here on the Last Things Podcast. you guys a story about the time what happened with me and my church when there was a young man there who all of a sudden was overtaken with a spirit of anger if you'd have just saw his face i mean he his face he didn't look nothing like himself nothing like himself and but here it's the same thing which leads me to wonder could nebuchadnezzar have been overtaken by a spirit of anger that's just that's just what I'm asking. OK, but let's look at it. And let's keep going. The rest of verse 19. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. He said he he was he wanted that he wanted them to really feel feel this. OK, now, verse 20. He then ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Verse 21. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes and other garments. So they're bound up and thrown in fully dressed. I, I like what the scripture says here. They're saying fully dressed. They had all their clothes on, pants, turban, robes, other garments. They were just thrown in, fully dressed, but tied up. Nebuchadnezzar didn't care. He said, throw them in. He didn't care. Verse 22, and because of the and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego securely tied fell into the roaring flames. Did you see that? So because of Nebuchadnezzar being so angry. It caused the death of three of the, of three of the soldiers. Three of the soldiers died because of Nebuchadnezzar being so angry. Because he was so angry, it caused the death of those three soldiers. They died because he was angry. He he felt some type of way. So he wanted this furnace blazed. It just goes to, he wanted this furnace blazed so hot to punish Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it goes to show how he didn't care about nobody else. He wanted them to feel his pain. He didn't care about them soldiers dying. All he cared about was making sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt his wrath. That's what it was all about. That's what it was all about. Now, 
Let's go down to verse 24. Now we get now it's getting good. OK, verse 24. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and explained and exclaimed to his advisors. Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty. We certainly did. There were they replied. Right. Verse 24. Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, something's wrong. Something's wrong with this. He say something ain't right. So he asked him, he said, so you look what he said. He said, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in there? And the advisors are saying, yes, Lord, that's exactly what we did. We tied up three men and we threw them in. But look at verse 25. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. Now, let me stop here for a minute. I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. Do If anybody, you know, is wondering. In the New Living Translation, this says like a God as lowercase God, right? So here's the question. It's, in, it's a lowercase g. So here's the question. Is this, could this, who did Nebuchadnezzar see? Did he see an angel? Did he see a God, as he says? Who did he see? Now, I was out now for the longest time. I thought it was an angel up until a few years ago, until we realized, no, I don't think that was an angel that he saw. I think everyone has always said this was Christ that he saw. So here's the question. If this is how can this be Christ? So basically what we are dealing with is a pre-incarnate Christ. What is pre-incarnate? That is let's let me pull up the definition of the word pre-incarnate. Pre-incarnate uh, is the definition. I'm sorry. The definition of pre-incarnate of relating to or having existence before incarnation use especially of the second person of the trinity so basically what does that mean that means you have somebody coming to earth before they were officially before they were born that's what pre-incarnate means so basically we are dealing with a in a pre-incarnate christ a lot of you guys if you guys are not aware, Jesus has shown up in the Old Testament before. He's shown up in the Old Testament before. I'm going to give you an example. If you go to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, this is what it says. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am a commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? Note, listen to his response. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. 
Why is that important? How do this here? First of all, this is an example of a pre-incarnate. This is Jesus who he has run into. How do we know? Notice. Remember, angels are not meant to be worshipped. In Revelation, in Revelation chapter, is it Revelation 20, I believe? It's in one of the um, it's in one of the chapters in Revelation. Each time there were two times where John fell down at the angel's feet to worship him. But what happened each time? The angel would tell him, No, don't worship me. I'm a servant just like you. But in Joshua chapter five, when Joshua fell at his feet, what did the commander of the Lord's army tell him? Did he tell him to get up? No, he didn't. What he told him, he said, take your shoes off for you are on holy ground. He didn't tell him nothing about getting up. That's how we know this is Christ. Because an angel would tell him, don't worship me. But this guy, this person here, he didn't tell John that. He didn't tell Joshua that. Joshua fell at his feet. He didn't tell him to get up not one time. He just told him, take your shoes off because now you're on holy ground. And Joshua, and what the Bible says, Joshua did as he was told. Yes, sir. Yes, Lord. And then look, I, I'm, and if you go ahead to Joshua chapter six, listen to what it, let me read it. Verse one through two. Now, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in and out. Verse two. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. Do you see that? He instantly went from seeing a man on the road to now talking face to face with Christ. Talking face to face with God. God is now speaking to him. So in my opinion, Joshua ran into Christ right there. That's an example of pre-incarnate Christ. And but the interaction between Joshua and Christ is, a, is what is called a theophany, a theophany, which is a when a situation when a human runs in contact with God. They call it a theophany. That's what it's called. A visible manifestation of humankind. Of God. So basically, you having an encounter with God. We've seen so many examples of theophanies, haven't we? That's one with Joshua. Moses and the burning bush is another one. Um, Peter, James, and John on the mountain of transfiguration of Christ. That's another one. We, those are examples of theophanies. But in the Old Testament, Whenever they ran into Christ, whenever Christ shows up, that's an example of pre-incarnate, a pre-incarnate, a pre-incarnate Christ, Christ coming before he was born. OK, but he, I'm saying that um, I just wanted to give that context because that's what we're seeing in Daniel chapter three. So the question is, does she, is did Shat did uh, Nebuchadnezzar really see an angel or did he see something else remember 
they don't, they, Nebuchadnezzar had a set of gods that he worshipped. He has no clue what he's seeing. He's just relating it to the closest thing as to what he's seeing. But he has no clue as to what he's seeing. He's just describing it as best he can. Okay. But let's keep going. Okay. Let's keep going. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could. Because remember, he had a heat seven times hotter. So he came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. He came back to himself now. He, he came back to himself. Because look at what he says, servants of the Most High God. He realized, wait a minute, they might serve the same God that Daniel served. Because remember what Daniel said? Dan, Dan, remember what he said? What he, what he told Daniel about his God? He said, your God is mighty. Let me pull it up to see what he exactly told him. Truly, in ver he told him uh, in verse 47 of Daniel 2, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries. You see that? Nebuchadnezzar is like, uh-oh. This saying, this the God of Daniel is got to be here in this moment right now. Because notice what he says, servants of the most high God. He's like, oh, oh, he knew he messed up. He knew he messed up, in my opinion. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Verse 27, the high officers, officials, governors and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads were singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. That's why I said when they described the clothing of what they had on, it was very interesting. Why? Because now that they've come out, none of their clothing was touched. None of their clothing was touched and they didn't smell like smoke. Their hair was a singe. Nothing happened. It was like they were just sitting. Around. It was like nothing. The fire did not harm them in any way, shape, form, or fashion. This should encourage some of you. No matter what trial, no matter what fairy furnace you're going through, you might be going through something. But trust and believe Jesus is in there with you. And he's going to make it to where when it's all said and done, when it's all over, you're not even going to look like you've been through something. You're not even going to look like you've been through something. You're going to come out smelling like roses. And that's what happened with here. They stepped out. The ropes were burned, but nothing else. That is absolutely amazing. That is absolutely amazing. But now let's keep going. Verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue him, his servants who trusted in him. They defiled the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Did you see that? Nebuchadnezzar is looking at them in amazement and total respect. He respected that. He said, I, he, in essence saying, I respect the fact that you got, that they were willing to die and serve their God. 
than to serve our gods. And look, their God came through in the end. They were, I told you, they were looking, they were literally looking at death in the eyes. They had faith in God, like God's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not doing what you want because they knew God will come through for them. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And Nebuchadnezzar is seeing this and is just in awe and in amazement the same way he was in awe and amazement with Daniel in chapter two. He's in amazement as to what has happened before his eyes. Now, let's look at what he said. Look at what he says in verse 29. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Do you see this? Nebuchadnezzar is saying, y'all better not speak God, speak, uh, speak down on their God. If you do, you're going to be torn limb from limb. And then your house is going to turn to rubble. He said he's going to destroy everybody. If you do, if you speak down on them, you go. Not only are you going to be killed in essence, your house turned to rubble. That means he's going to go after your family, too. He said, everybody's going to feel it. Keep, do not speak ill will of their God. Because look at what he said. He said, there's no other God who can rescue like this. Nebuchadnezzar saying, not even, Nebuchadnezzar saying, my, the gods who I serve, they can't do what their God can do. You better not speak ill of them. That's amazing that Nebuchadnezzar went from anger and serving, thinking, thinking about himself. I got that power. I got what he said earlier. Your I have the power to do. But now he's realizing, oh, no, there's somebody greater than anyone. Who had the power to do that? He said, I've never seen that before. And he's telling everybody, you either worship him. You if y'all speak ill will about their God. This is what's going to happen to you. There's some consequences to it. Boy, that's just amazing. It's amazing, man. Look at verse 30. Look at verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in a province of Babylon. Remember earlier in Daniel chapter 2, they were already promoted to some to some provision to some provinces, uh provinces. They were already, oh, I'm getting tongue tied. I'm sorry, y'all. They were already promoted to some positions, right? But after this, Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, no, I'm going to promote you even higher. This should bless you in the storm that you're going through. Just know, yeah, you're going through something, but Christ is with you in that storm. And know this, when you come out of it, he's going to make it worth your while. That, that, that the whole story is like, Wow. It's just absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing of the whole story. And now here's where, remember I said I was going to relate this to the end time, uh, to the end times. This is a snapshot of the end times, right? Okay. So let's look at this. Nebuchadnezzar. Let me, let me see if I can get my Bible back up. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar makes a statue. He tells everybody, worship this statue, 
or die. Where have we heard that from? In Revelation chapter 13. If you go down to verse 14 in Revelation chapter 13, look what verse 13 says. He did astonishing miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was talking. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. He ordered the people to do what? Make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He Verse 15, he was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anybody who refuses to worship it must die. Doesn't that sound just like what Nebuchadnezzar said about his statue? Nebuchadnezzar said the same thing, worship it. He didn't say die, but you know that was going to happen. You're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. You pretty, you are going to die pretty much. And now we're seeing in, and now you see in Revelation, the false prophet is the one who has the people build this statue. He gives the statue life. The statue says, worship me or you die. So you see the two parallels right there? Oh, but there's other. And then do you see the parallel of Nebuchadnezzar's statue and the image of the beast? The statue couldn't speak, but the image of the beast can speak. And what does it say? Worship me or die. And, and then look, and, and do you see how both of them are the same? Nebuchadnezzar says the same thing. You're thrown into a fiery furnace. The false the the beast saying the same thing. Worship me or die. Look and look at how they both die. One thrown in the fiery furnace. But if you go to Revelation chapter twenty verse four, what happens to what happens to those who don't worship it? Then I, verse four says this. Then I saw thrones and the people. Of Revelation, we're in Revelation 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them that had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been what? Beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not did what? They had not worshipped the beast or his statue. And I'm going to stop right there. So what happens to them? If you don't worship the beast, or his statue, what happens? You're beheaded. You're thrown in a fiery furnace in Daniel. But in the end time, during the tribulation, what happens? You are beheaded. But look at what happened. But look at how God did. God, well, look at how God did. God delivered Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fiery furnace by nothing happening to them. How does God deliver those who die by getting beheaded? What did John just say? He saw thrones and people sitting on them had been given what? The ability to judge. And what happens? The church reign. And what happens during the end time, during the tribulation? Those who are saved by Christ, who did not worship, what happens? They're reigning with Christ during that time. Do you see the parallels between the situation with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and what's going and the seven during what happens during the seven-year tribulation period? Now, 
you guys probably did not pick up on this. There's also one very big thing between both of these instances. In the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here's the question. You ready for it? Where's Daniel? Have you, I don't think, I don't know if you've ever paid attention, but have you noticed throughout the entire chapter, Daniel ain't mentioned that one time. The question is, where's Daniel? We really don't know because scripture doesn't say where's Daniel. Because notice what Nebuchadnezzar said, all of the high ranking officers had to do what had to be there at that dedication. Daniel was not there. Where was Daniel? Now, some scholars believe that he was um, off on doing business for the king. That's what some scholars believe. And there's some people who think that he might. The reason why he wasn't affected by this is because he was thrown in. Why he wasn't thrown into the fairy furnace is because of what? Because he might have bowed down to the statue at some point, which, of course, we know that's not true. We know that's not true. So the question was, where's Daniel? Answer, we really don't know where Daniel was. It doesn't say. But do you see how Daniel is not here during this whole thing that's going on? During this whole dry run of the tribulation? So... Daniel missing in Dan in in this of Daniel chapter three. Who's missing during the whole seven year tribulation period? The church is missing. Do you see the correlation between this and what's going what's going to happen during that tribulation period? That's why I said this is a dry run of the tribulation period. It's a dry run. When you sit back and look at both instances. This is a dry run of the tribulation period. And it even and it, and guess and look and, and 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 look what it even has. An example of the rapture. How? Daniel will be the perfect example of the rapture during this. Why? Because he ain't around. If Daniel was there, Daniel could have spoke to the king. And I don't think this could this would have happened. Because the king would have remembered what Daniel did. And I think he would have listened to Daniel. But because Daniel was not around, that's why they were able. And I think that's why the astrologer, it, this is just my opinion. I think that's why the astrologers did what they did to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because out of all these people around, you may sure to find out. But how can you, how can you not, how can you, with everybody around, how can you know these three weren't doing it unless you were watching? You had to have been watching them the whole time. They had to have been watching, waiting, and plotting. Now that Daniel, we don't know where Daniel was. He was just gone. He wasn't there. That's when they took the time to strike. Because I believe had Daniel been there, this might not have happened. But do you see how during the tribulation period, the church is not there. And that's when the Antichrist does the things that he does. Because the Antichrist can't come on, cannot come on to the scene until the church is gone. 
It's just, do you see the parallels between this of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to what goes on during the seven-year tribulation? Daniel 3 is, in my opinion, a dry run of the tribulation period. And I've shown you the differences between the two, the parallels between both of them. Just, uh, just amazing. Just amazing. But look at how God does through both instances. Look how God did. And that's a perfect segue into our, our call to salvation. Both situations, both, both, both situations will require you to make a decision. Now that in Daniel was is past, but this seven year tribulation period, that's future. But both of them are going to require both of them require you to make a stand for Christ. Are you willing to make that stand for him, even though it might cost you your life? Are you willing to? But you got to I want you to remember this, though. Remember this. He made that stand for you. Oh, man, I, I, my legs are shaking when I made that statement. He made that stand for you when he died on that cross. I, I have um, I have a niece that I that I've um, been talking to a lot lately, and she kind of struggles with people loving her. She thinks she's a loner in this world. And I told her, and, and my baby, I, I, I call her my baby because she my niece. I call her my baby. I told her, I say, you, I say, before you, you have to experience true love. And there's no greater love to experience than the love of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he did something for you that nobody can do. He died. He paid a price for you that he didn't have to pay. He didn't have to die on that cross for us. He didn't have to be the once and final sacrifice for us, but he willingly did it for us. That is the most truest example of love. I told her before you can experience a human love, you need to experience the love of Christ. You need to experience the love of God. That's the love that you need, because with that love, you can do anything. And you don't you can do anything and you'll never that that love is just a. I tell people I say this. I've said this so many times. You want to see a fatal attraction. You walk away from God and see won't God. God. God will leave all of his other sheep to come after to come after the one that's lost. He'll come after you, but he's doing it because he loves you so much that he paid a high price for you. God said God does not desire everybody being um, he desires that everybody be saved. That's why he that's why he had to come up with plan B. What Adam did when Adam ate of the fruit, that's why God came up with plan B. He knew once Adam ate of the fruit, sin came into the world. He said God knew in his infinite wisdom, I have to do something to save them because if I don't. They're going to all die. They're going to all they're going to all die and rot away, burn in the lake of fire for all eternity. And I don't want that for them. So let me come up with a plan B. 
And the plan B was far better than the plan A. Well, no, I can't say that because if Adam hadn't ate the fruit, we wouldn't be in a situation where we are now. But God in his infinite wisdom saw, I've got to do something to make sure that they have a way. I was listening to a song and the song said, thank you, Father, for setting me free. And I thought about what he said, setting me free from the bondage of sin. Because that's what happens. Sin keeps us wrapped in bondage. That's why we keep falling into it. You want to really be free? Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And he'll set you free. Now, once he sets you free, it's your job to make sure you don't get a, uh, you don't get bond, uh, wrapped up in bondage again. Stay free. Once he sets you free, don't go back to what he what he pulled you away from, because you go back to it. It's going to be much harder to come back. But once he sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen. Amen. All I'm telling you guys is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And all the sin and, and everything that you're dealing with, he can bring it to an end. That's why he said, if you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, if you give up your life to me, you're going to find your life. That, that's just a powerful statement. He's saying, don't hold on to your life. Sacrifice it for me and you'll find it. And then some. That's why he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and everything will be added to you. Everything will be added to you. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, just pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a savior. I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart. Make me, shape me, and mold me into the person who you call me to be. I lay my life down. My life is now in your hands. Do with me as you wish. In the mighty name of Lord Jesus, I pray and I thank you. Amen. Guys, we're going to believe that if you pray that simple prayer, you have transferred over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And your name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. So if you were to die today or tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, you have a spot in the kingdom. You have a spot in the kingdom. And if you are raptured up, you have a spot in the kingdom as well. The most important thing is that your name be written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. And now because you've come home, there's going to be a party in heaven because his son or daughter has come home. Amen. Amen. Welcome home, my brother. Welcome home, my sister. Now, this is what I want to tell you. Pray and ask God to send you to a good Bible-based church because everything that says church in this day and age is not church. And as I always say, look at the example of the uh, seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three. Each of those churches got different report and only two of them got good reports. So pray and ask God to send you to a good Bible based church and he will do just that. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode, man. I really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Next week, we're going to cover. Uh, oh, I'm about to say Revelation. What made me say that? We are going to cover Daniel chapter four. That remember how I said that Nebuchadnezzar has a pride issue. 
We've seen we, we we're seeing it. We saw it in chapter. We saw a little bit of it in chapter two. We really saw it in chapter three. And it's going to really get to to. It's going to really be even more of a problem in chapter four. But in chapter four, God himself is going to deal with it one final time. And, you know, what's so funny about chapter four as well? Daniel all of a sudden pops back up again. <laughs> Daniel all of a sudden is in Daniel chapter four after not being here for chapter three. But he shows up in chapter four. OK, but Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn the hard way. This is oh, my auntie says this all the time. You either follow God or he going to drag you over broken glass. Oh, man, just thinking about that. Oh, but you're going to do it. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn who God is. Like Kevin Hart say, you're going to learn today. You're going to learn today. You're going to learn. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn a hard. He's going to learn a lesson. Oh, but it's going to be a hard lesson to learn. But he's going to be so much more the better in the end. And I want to ask you, and, and this, is just a, this is just a question I want to ask you. And because I'm pretty sure a lot of you, uh, a lot of y'all, um, <clears throat> a lot of you, what's the word I'm looking for? Bible scholars have probably read Daniel already. So I want to ask you this, uh, Daniel. So I want to ask you this question. After you read Daniel chapter four, if you want to go jump ahead and read it, that's cool. But I want to ask you this question. After Daniel chapter four, do you think that Nebuchadnezzar was saved? We're going to try to answer that in next week's episode. We're going to try to answer that question. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar was saved? I heard somebody say, I think Nebuchadnezzar is in heaven right now. After Daniel chapter four next week, I want to ask you the same question. Where do you think Nebuchadnezzar is now? Do you think he's in the kingdom or do you think he's in hell? You decide for yourself. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys again so much for tuning in thank you for your support as i always say guys like the video share the video subscribe to the youtube channel and if you can't watch us on youtube we stream on all the major major uh streaming services apple uh apple podcast google podcast spotify uh stitcher amazon and uh amazon uh live and i believe pan i believe pandora has picked us up now as well too so you can find us on uh, all major streaming services amen amen i love you guys so much thank you again for tuning in to me this week pray the lord's prayer and the armor of god prayer you and your family pray those prayers together before you walk out the door so you are able to withstand the, the tricks of the enemy amen amen i love you guys you guys have a blessed week please be safe out there and i'll see you here next week with another episode of the last things podcast where we are on a journey to truth love you guys be blessed <laughs> 